going to finish chapter 4, but we're going to continue moving on. And, uh, you know, sometimes the way you plan things is not actually the way it shakes out in the end, right? This passage, if you look at the uh, paragraph that came before, James was using very strong language. He referred to them as adulteresses. Um, and in our passage today, he's going to make noise like that. In our, in our passage today, he's going to uh, refer to them in, in some unkind ways, maybe. You sinners, you double-minded. And so it, it's a passage that sort of makes a preacher want to bang the pulpit a little bit. And, uh, and I'm, I'm no different. It's a passage on humility and about humbling ourselves before God. And I say that sometimes plans don't shake out the way you really want them to because uh, I don't think we're in a place right now where pulpit banging maybe would be the best. This passage is about humbling yourself before God that he may exalt you. And... Uh, we were at Connect Group on Thursday night, and we never even got to our study because of all of the heavy prayer requests. It was a very heavy night, and I went home feeling heavy. And that was the day after having heard about Livy and not knowing what the circumstances were on Wednesday when, uh, when I heard about that and learning a little bit more as time went on. Circumstances are heavy right now for a lot of people. I know of people who have been battling ongoing illness for years. Others have been recently diagnosed. Others have maybe uh, dodged a bullet recently and can praise the Lord for that. There are other circumstances in our community, in people's lives, some of which we know about, some of which we don't know about, that, uh, that are heavy. And it seems like those circumstances may be humbling us. And so um, I want to begin our message today at the end. I, I, don't always, I don't always tell you where we're going. I sometimes like to, you know, surprise you at the end or, um, or save the best for last. But today I want to talk about where we're going to end in this message. I'm not going to read the whole thing right now. We're going to, I'm going to read a couple of verses and then we're going to pray and then we'll, we'll get into our message. But I want you to look at... Chapter 4 and verse 6. Remember in the passage before that was preached last week, he said some heavy things. He said some hard things. And he ended up there in verse 5. He said, uh, talking you know, to these people that he just called adulterers, he says, uh, God earns, uh, yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. That's a, that's a hard thing. You're making God jealous by the way you're living your life is the way he finished that paragraph. And then in verse 6, he says, But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then look down at verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. That's where we're headed. That's where we're headed today in this message. And that's where we as believers are headed, to be lifted up by the Lord in the way and the time he sees fit. And so even in circumstances as heavy as we find now, 
getting updates from uh, from Woody on how Livia is doing and hearing how uh, other brothers and sisters in the body are doing or connected with the body are doing. We could use to be lifted up by the Lord. And so let's uh, go to him now and ask him to do that and pray that he will do that even in the preaching of this message. Let's pray. Father, we uh, come to you this morning. And um, maybe we're not all as as aware or as connected or as weighed down by the um, the news about Livy or uh, other circumstances, uh, illnesses, cancer in different uh, different places. Um, uh, Dave Kittle with his uh, his situation last week and uh, other heavy circumstances going on in people's lives. Maybe maybe it has to do with custody battles with children, or maybe it has to do with other ongoing illness or relational things. Maybe that none of us even here knows about because we're not willing to talk about them. Lord, we we are in a, we are in a place where uh, circumstances seem heavy. And we have limited strength in ourselves. And we can be humbled by those circumstances. And we, we, we fear that we can be crushed by those circumstances. And so, Lord, we come to you. And we ask you for strength to bear up in these circumstances. Not, not just to have a stiff upper lip, but to trust in you through these circumstances. That we would indeed be humbled before you. And that the result would be you exalting us. Lord, we need that. We need you to work in our lives in these circumstances. We need you to work in Livy's body. We need you to work in custody battles. We need you to work in, in emotional hurts or relational difficulties and other illnesses. We need you to work. We need you to work to save souls of our dear ones who don't know you. We need you to work in our community because our community is broken. Many of us have broken families, and we're all broken in many ways ourselves. We need you, and so we ask that you would do that this morning. And so we look to you, and we trust in you, even as we open your word. We trust that you, by your spirit, would speak to us, that you would be lifted up, and that you would build us, build us up in your due time and in your way. So we ask for this, Lord, and, and it's beyond us. It's beyond us. We can't manufacture what we need. We can't convince them, convincingly fake what we need. We need you to work in our lives, and so we submit ourselves to you and ask that you would do that even this morning. And so we ask for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said, we're talking about humility today, and, and it's, uh, they say that a person can never be aware of his own humility because as soon as he's aware of it, he becomes proud of it, and then he's starting from scratch again, Right? And so we're talking about humility uh, before God in our message today. As we've been moving through the epistle here, um, I, I kind of want to back up and take a running start. And so we know where, we're, uh, where we are in the logic, in the flow, in the argument, in what's going on in our passage here. I want to back up a little bit and look uh, towards the end of chapter 3 there. And there was a discussion about wisdom from above versus earthly wisdom or worldly wisdom. And it talked about some of the attitudes that go along with that. talked about some of the results uh, that come from that. And they are not good results, right? Uh, worldly wisdom results in bitter jealousy and in strife, uh, disorder and vile practices. And, and so that, that was what was going on at the end of chapter 3. And, and so he was saying that there are these two kinds of wisdom. And they play themselves out in, in ways that, 
break relationship and cause difficulty amongst people, right? And then he moves on in the beginning of chapter 4, the passage that we looked at last week. And he starts by asking the question, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? There's squabbles going on amongst you. What causes that stuff? Where does it come from? Well, he says, well, it's your, it's your passions that are at war within you. It's the things that you love within you and the things that you seek and you want them and you can't have them. So you fight with each other and you squabble with each other and your passions uh, are, are lined against the passions of someone else. And so you end up banging heads and, and that's causing problems. And, and he ends up diagnosing it as adultery in verse four. You love these things of the world more than you love the father. You're adulterers. And so uh, they've become friends with the world, which James says means that they are at enmity with God. They, they've become spiritual adulterers. And then he says, God yearns jealously for the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. God is jealous for us in a way that a husband whose wife has cheated on him is jealous for his wife. It's a right jealousy. And that's where we ended last week. And that's a tough spot. That's a tough spot to end. And so that's where we find ourselves here when we start in verse 6. So he says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves, therefore, before the Lord, and He will exalt you. He will exalt you. But there's a path to go to get there. He's talking about, this message is about, and this paragraph is about getting grace. How do you get grace? Verse 6, of course, is our theme verse. He gives more grace, therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And of course, that's our part of our memory verse uh, for this month. And it starts off talking about overcoming grace. Overcoming grace. James has just called them adulteresses or adulterous people, right? He's, he's referring back, he's lumping them in with the way God used to talk about the Old Testament nation of Israel. They were called adulterers all the time because of their idolatry, because though they had been wedded spiritually to God the Father, yet they kept running after the Baals or running after the gods of the Canaanites or running after Molech or whoever. They kept going after other gods bowing down to these idols. And it wasn't just idolatry. God considered it adultery. And so for a Jew like James to pull out the word adulterous with a bunch of Jews like the recipients of James, it was definitely going to strike that chord in their mind. And they could see themselves in the place of Israel going after other gods, loving the things of the world which he says is actually enmity with God when you do that, loving things of the world uh, more than loving God. So that's where he ended, but he starts here 
by talking about this greater grace, this overcoming grace. In our passage today, it's a lot, it's a much higher note. I said it's, it's true that they have become friends with the world in many ways. That's true. It's true that, that God has become jealous of them. That's true, but He gives a greater grace, an overcoming grace, a grace that can, that can get them beyond that. That's not the end of the story. God's grace overcomes their spiritual adultery, <clears throat> overcomes our idolatry and friendship with the world. And this passage isn't just talking about when someone became a Christian. They went from being a pagan, an unbeliever, an idolater, to becoming a Christian. That's not what the passage is talking about. The passage is written to believers. And this kind of language is used of us because it can be true of us. He's talking to Christians, to Christians who have become friends with the world. And he says there is a greater grace that God gives to overcome that. And so maybe that's you. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe God's been convicting you this week with the words from the sermon from last week. Have you become a friend of God's enemy? Have you befriended God's enemies, the things of this world? Have you become a friend of the world? Have you made God jealous over you? He has more than enough grace to bring you back into fellowship with Him. He gives a greater grace, an overcoming grace. So how do we get grace? Well, this grace is an overcoming grace, first of all, but there's an obstacle in the way, and it's very costly pride. Costly pride. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 34 says this, Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. Which, of course, James quotes here, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I have a question for you, just kind of as an aside here. When you read through the book of Proverbs, right? It often compares and contrasts two different types of people. And I wonder where you put yourself in those contrasts. I wonder which guy you end up being. You end up being the good guy or do you end up being the bad guy? So for example, Proverbs 3.35, the very next verse in Proverbs says this, the wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. And so when you read that, which one do you identify with? Do you read that and say, yeah, that's right. I'm going to get honor. Is that the way you read it? I would challenge you as you read Proverbs and as you read Scripture to flip it sometimes. Put yourself in the opposite spot. Put yourself in the place of the fool because quite often we are that fool. Put yourself in the place of that fool and see what the Word says to you then. It might change a little bit what you get out of it. I challenge you to read that passage and put yourself in the fool's plight. In our passage right here, put your name in verse 6. God opposes, maybe I'm the proud one. Maybe, maybe God opposes me. Well, who wants God to oppose them? Who wants God to oppose them? You see, that's, that's the problem with pride, though. The proud person looks at themselves and they say, well, I, you know, I don't really need God's help. I, I don't want God to stand against me. I don't want him to oppose me, but you know, I don't, I'm, I'm doing kind of fine on my own here. That's, that's the deception. 
of pride. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so thirdly, our verse talks about grace for humility. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, Isaiah 57, 15, concludes with this. It says, God dwells with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. He gives grace for humility. Grace for humility. I would rather have my name inserted in the second part of the verse. God opposes the proud but gives grace to Brennan. That's who I want to be. That's where I want to be in that verse. And so the question is, how do I get humble? How can I be humble? So that brings us to our second second point here. And really, this whole second section here could be its own sermon. Could probably be several sermons. You could probably buy a book on this subject. And I'm gonna I'm gonna breeze through it a little bit too quickly. But how do we get humble? Verses 7 through 9, right? We read that there. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. So he says, how do we get humble? Well, first of all, by submitting to God. By submitting to God. To submit means to willingly place yourself under the authority of someone else. And so to submit to God is to willingly, willingly to place ourselves under the authority of God himself. And really, if you think about it, that's the idea that's inherent in calling Jesus Lord. When we call him Lord, we're acknowledging that he's in the place of authority over us. And we are to place ourselves in a position of submission to him because he is Lord. He's the Lord of Lords, and we can only be rightly related to him when we place ourselves willingly under his authority. And so he starts off by saying we need to submit to God, but he moves beyond that. And he says also we need to resist the devil, resist the devil, stand firm against the enemy and his schemes, right? If you remember Paul in Ephesians chapter six, talking about the armor of God, that's the reason he gave for us to put on the armor of God. He said, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Resist the devil. The devil is big and bad. And if we had to stand against him on our own, we would be in trouble. And we would be hopeless. We would be overpowered. And so Peter, speaking on the same topic, says, Our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So should we run away in terror? Should we hide from him? No. Peter says instead, be sober-minded and watchful. Resist him firm in your faith. That's 1 Peter 5. Resist the devil, James says, and he will flee from you because you are not on your own. You are not on your own, Christian. And so what are some practical ways to resist? Well, first of all, be armored up, Ephesians chapter 6. Second of all, 1 Peter 5, be sober-minded and watchful. And thirdly, third practical way to resist, be firm in your faith. 1 Peter 5, 9. Be armored up, be sober-minded, and watchful, be firm in your faith. So we are to submit to God, and part of submitting to God means we are to resist the devil, and a second part of submitting to God means that we are to draw near to him, to draw near to him. And this 
This word got me on a long rabbit trail as I was looking for the idea of drawing near to God. And I, I started looking in the Old Testament, which is where you should start looking, by the way. So I started looking in the Old Testament at this idea of drawing near to God, and it is everywhere. It is all over. It's a very personal kind of relationship, and it's, it's, a, it's, it's related to worship. It has to do with, it's the word used when Abraham was, uh, was begging, was pleading for Sodom and Gomorrah, that, that God would, would spare that city for the sake of a certain number of righteous people. He drew near to God to ask that favor. It's also used of, of Isaac asking Jacob. Remember, he, he thought he was Esau because he, he had come in dressed up like Esau and smelling like Esau and carrying the stew like Esau and trying to talk like Esau with a deeper voice, right? That's the same word that Isaac used of Jacob, asking him to come near so he could kiss him and feel him and bless him, right? He wanted to be that close. That's the idea of drawing near. When God was talking to Moses from the burning bush, God forbade Moses to draw near because this was holy ground. Don't you dare draw near until you take your shoes off. This is holy ground. And the people of Israel were also forbidden to draw near to Sinai in Exodus chapter 19 for the same reason, lest they be destroyed. They can't draw near to me. They don't have the right. I'm holy. And all throughout the Old Testament, the idea of drawing near has to do with the ministry that the priests were offering in the temple or in the in the tabernacle, offering uh, uh, offerings before God, bringing their, their offerings and ministering before God. They were drawing near. So it's this very personal relationship. It has to do with um, it, it has to do with worship and it has to do with being right with God and be ex- being accepted by God. And it's everywhere in the Old Testament. James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God's response to our drawing near is that he draws near to us. Like Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 4, what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? So let's call upon the Lord like the people of Israel were to do. Call upon him, draw near to him, set aside, resist the devil, set aside your love of worldly things, approach him, come near to him because you want to be reconciled with him. Not just, not just finally and ultimately as you were in salvation, but personally and relationally and, and in regards to fellowship, approach him, draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. So submitting to God involves resisting the devil and drawing near to God, and, and then God then draws near to us. So how do we get humble? Well, first, by submitting to God, and second, by cleaning ourselves thoroughly, by cleaning thoroughly. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I say this is a thorough cleaning because he's talking about what you do with your hands and what you do with your heart. And that's a, that's a great visual for us, right? Because you can see what I do with my hands, but you have no idea what's going on in my heart. But God sees the heart. And so some of the sins that I commit, I commit with my hands. And most of the sins I commit, I commit with my heart. You can't see it, and you don't know it, but God knows it. And so he says we are to cleanse our hands, purify our hearts, set aside those things, the ways we've been 
living our lives, the things we've been practicing and doing that would not be pleasing to him. This reminds me of Psalm 24 that says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Clean hands and a pure heart. The Christian life does actually involve obedience to what the Lord says. It does actually involve us obeying him, us submitting to him. And that's a big part of submitting to him is doing what he says. Because he's the Lord. He's the authority and I'm not. The problem, if we're honest with ourselves, is that we don't always do that very well. That brings us to the point of verse 9. We humble ourselves before God by mourning our sins. By mourning sins. He says, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Those are not the most uplifting words I've read. <laughs> I've read. I kind of prefer the ones that says, let your, you know, your mourning be turned into laughter and, and your tears to dancing and, and those, those sorts of things. I prefer those verses, right? This kind of reminds me of Second. Uh, Corinthians chapter 7 verses 9 and 10 where Paul's speaking to the Corinthian believers. He says, as it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. He says they were grieved into repenting. Grief's not always bad. Mourning is not always bad. In fact, uh, the um, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 2 through 4, the writer says, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of the mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Boy, that's contrary to what we would like, right? Because, yeah, I like mirth. (laughs) I like laughter. I like to make people laugh. I love it when people make me laugh. I like to smile. I like to be happy. A lot of times I put on a happy face when that's not what's going on in here. I'm I'm not alone in that. But it's good to be in the house of mourning. And it's good to understand sorrow. It's good to experience sorrow. We learn from it. And we spend so much time and energy and money trying to comfort ourselves when the real solution is to acknowledge and to mourn our sin. And only then will we get exalted. When we enter into that kind of mourning of our sin. So he finishes in verse 10. He talks about how to get exalted. Well, first of all, it's a personal process. It's a personal process. He says, humble yourselves. It's not something that you can just do on your own. He gives you the Holy Spirit, Christian, to help you with this, to convict you of sin, and to help you to mourn your sin. But, Christian, if you do not do it, it will not get done. It's a personal process. Mourn your sin. Humble yourself using the means that we've talked about, by submitting to God, by resisting the devil, by drawing near to God, by cleaning up your actions and purifying your thoughts and 
by understanding the depth and the gravity and the depravity of your sins. And Christian, this needs to be a, a, a daily part of your business with God, a daily part, mourning your sins. I'm real good at like confessing and moving on because I like to get past that. And he talks here about mourning. It's a much more involved process, realizing the gravity and the offense that it is to God. It's a personal process, but it's a personal process with reference to God, with reference to God. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord. You see, we're not just talking about self-abasement. We're not just a bunch of masochists who just like to say bad things and, and, and do bad things to ourselves. We're not trying to hurt ourselves. We're not just trying to, to, to beat ourselves down or keep ourselves in the dust. This is something that we do before God. It has to do with getting a right understanding of who we are in the light of who God is. It's humbling ourselves before Him, not just abasing ourselves, but humbling ourselves before Him. The, the better grasp we have of our wretchedness in the face of how we ought to be, the more fitted we are for the wonderful plot twist that's about to come. The better we grasp our own wretchedness in the face of who we ought to be, the more fitted we are for what's about to come, the resulting exaltation. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. He will exalt you. What does that mean? What does it mean that God will exalt you? Well, even before answering the question, it's got to be good, right? To be exalted by God himself. We know that self-exaltation is bad, right? Whatever that might mean, however we might define that. We know that self-exaltation is bad. But when God says he's going to step in and he's going to exalt you, that's got to be a good thing, right? It's a very positive thing. And that's our plot twist at the end. And, and that's where we want to head with this whole message. You see, back in chapter 1 of James and verse 9, we talked about this a couple of months ago, he makes kind of an ironic statement. He says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. That word lowly means humble. It's the word humble. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. And that's what he's talking about here. He's fleshing it out. This is similar to what Jesus says when he says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let God lift you up. Let God lift you up. What all is involved in that? Well, ultimately, exaltation, being in God's presence, being, uh, being made like Him because we see Him, being in heaven with Christ, purified because of Him, all of our sins forgotten, in His presence perfectly. That's ultimately what it means. But that's not all that it means. It means to be lifted up, to be lifted up beyond your circumstances, to be lifted up out of the, out of the miry pit that you find yourself in. That's what's happening when, when we hear about martyrs who die burned at the stake or heads cut off by ISIS or whatever. Martyrs who die praising the Lord. People suffering with cancer or other terminal illnesses and praising the Lord throughout. They are being exalted in ways they can't fake, in ways they can't do it on their own. It is the Lord doing it himself. He's the one doing it. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And so I want to end on that last note. And by the way, that's where the logic flows. And that's where James wants us to end. The, the, the transition that happens there in, in verse 10 is important. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. 
That's the target. That's the aim. That's where this passage is headed. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And so, first point of application, beloved, we need to stop exalting ourselves and we need to let God do it. We need to stop building ourselves up. We need to stop proclaiming ourselves. Maybe we only do it internally. Maybe maybe we're just always trying to, you know, talk ourselves up to ourselves or make it appear as though we're greater in the eyes of others. We need to stop building ourselves up. We need to stop exalting ourselves. Why, why would we want to be the ones in charge of exalting ourselves when God's right there offering to do it? We need to humble ourselves before him. And that involves, involves mourning our sin. That involves being aware of our sin. That involves me not pretending to be something I'm not before you and before God. Your business is to humble yourself before the Lord in the ways that we talked about today, and he will exalt you in his proper time and in the way he desires. Second of all, second point of application, because we talked about in the beginning, there are a lot of us who are currently being humbled. Circumstances are humbling and, and, and you're not, you're, you're not exalting yourself through them. You're, you're, you're under those circumstances. You're aware of, of how frail you are. You're aware of how fallen you are before God. You're aware of how far you are from measuring up to His standard. And, and, and you feel low and, you're, and you actually are low and you're humble. Maybe uh, health problems have, have helped in that. Maybe relational difficulties have helped in that. Maybe financial challenges. Maybe other maybe emotional challenges that we don't know about. Maybe other things. You need to look at that last promise in verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Look for Him to lift you up. Thirdly and finally, for those of you who have been reading the book of James, and, and I recommend you do that, Keep, keep reading through it. It doesn't take long to read through it. Half an hour maybe. Keep reading through the book of James. As you get near the end, you'll see that there's a passage coming up towards the end of chapter 5 where he talks about prayer and healing and the prayer of faith and anointing with oil and calling the elders because you're sick and, and them praying and you being healed. That passage there in, uh, in verses 13 through uh, about um, 18 in there. We're going to come to that passage on the 20th of November. And um, so we as elders have been, have been praying together about how best to honor God and this passage and build up our congregation in, uh, on, on that day. And we've been talking about this for, for several weeks now. And so I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. We haven't fully decided how that's going to play out. And frankly, as I said at the beginning of the sermon, you have your plans and then God does his own thing. I expect that on the 20th. But it is our desire to honor this passage and to honor God and to offer prayers of healing for all of you who are sick. If you think through our congregation and you think about what people are struggling with, there are some huge things. And if you start listing them like we do in prayer often, you run out of fingers and toes because there's so much going on. And so we want to bring all of you to the Lord on that day, on the 20th, 
and it's going to be a special kind of service. It's not going to look like a normal service. It's going to be, it's going to be a little bit different. Um, not quite sure what it's going to look like, but we want to take a lot of time to trust the Lord and to ask him to work in your circumstances and particularly on that day in your bodies for healing. So I, I don't know what God's going to do. I have no idea. We're sticking our necks out here, which is called faith. So we're going to stick our necks out here, and we're going to see what the Lord's going to do. So uh, that, that's our third element here. Maybe, maybe you're being humbled uh, in this circumstance of, of physical illness, difficulty, sickness. And uh, be prepared for the 20th. It's going to be a special service, and we're going to go to the Lord and trust Him. Trust him that as we humble ourselves before him, he will exalt us in the way he sees fit. So that's going to be big. So mark that on your calendar. If you're, if you're planning on being out of town that day, try to change that plan. Okay? That would be a day to, uh, to be here and see what God has for us. He, he says here he wants to exalt us in his own way. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Father, we... Um, we need you to work in our lives. We need you to lift us up. We need to, I need to stop building myself up. I need to stop um, exalting myself, comforting myself. We need to stop that. And we need to humble ourselves before you and realize the truth about our own depravity, our own need before you. These physical ailments, which are very serious and very real, and we bring them to you, they're a picture of the ailment that we have in our heart. That if we don't have your healing in Christ, we're dead. Oh, but I love how you end this passage that you do say, you will lift us up. You will exalt us. And so, Lord, even now we humble ourselves before you and we confess that we are sinners. Confess that, that we do things that we know very well we should not do. And we think things we know very well we should not think. Our tongues get away from us. I pray that you would forgive us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to feel the gravity of that. Not because we will bear that, but so we will know what it is. And we will humble ourselves before you. And I pray that you would exalt us. And we look forward to how you're going to exalt us. You may not lift us above the circumstances. You may keep us in those circumstances. Or you may lift us out of those circumstances. And that's your choice. But we desire you to do the exalting. And I declare now, I, I want to stop doing the exalting. So, Lord, we need you. We pray that you would work in the lives and the bodies of our sick. Pray that you would work to bring to yourself our dear ones who don't know you. Pray that you'd convict them that on their own, that they have, they have no hope. And there is, there is hope in Christ. There is mercy in Christ that they would humble themselves before you and you would exalt them. Father, it's heavy. Circumstances are heavy, but this passage ends on such a high note, and that's what I want to cling to. That's, that's what I want all of us to cling to. And so, Lord, we praise you. We praise you for that exaltation. We look forward to the ultimate exaltation when we get to be with Christ and we get to, we get to see you and we get to have perfect relationship with you. We get to lay aside sickness and death and our sin and weakness and fallenness. And we get to glorify you the way we really want to, the way we really ought to.
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen.